the preacher's nightmare when, when the iPad doesn't work right when you come up to speak. Let me see what I need to do here. Okay. There we go. Let's try that. <clears throat> so it's good to be with you this evening. And it's good to be with those who are here with us on streaming. So we thank you for being with us. We thank you for coming out tonight so we can worship together and we can hear the word of the Lord together. We're doing, I'm continuing with what Jeff has been doing in terms of a series called Same Power, Engaging the Power of the Resurrection. And tonight I'm going to be talking about making the connection through prayer. Just a short review. The tomb is empty. And he is risen. That kind of says it all, really. The tomb is empty and he is risen. But what Jeff has been doing in this series is from Philippians, focusing on something Paul said, that I may know him and the power of the resurrection. Key verse in the midst of uh, uh, Philippians. And I can never not think about the fact that a thing that happened to me about that verse when I was in seminary. I went to an Episcopal seminary, and it was mostly a liberal seminary, so it was an interesting challenge to learn about theology with the contrast between what they taught and other ways of learning what Scripture said. But my preacher named, uh, preacher, um, we did what was called um, uh, hermeneutics, which is the study of preaching, and um, Sherry Aldridge was the professor that led us in that whole thing. And we wrote sermons, and we turned them in, and he graded them. He wrote some red on one where I happened to mention about knowing Christ and saying that even Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The red note that Sherry wrote, I don't think, I don't really believe that Paul was a contemporary of Jesus. In other words, he completely didn't get it. That it's not that he knew him like person to person because he grew up in Nazareth with him. No, it's because he knew him spiritually because of the resurrection and the road to Damascus. So needless to say, I went and had an interesting conversation with Sherry, and it was like, with some of those professors, it just goes right over their heads. Catherine Kuhlman used to say about people with really high education that they're educated beyond their intelligence. And uh, I think he was one of them. So As Jeff talked about, we begin with a radical reassessment of life, counting gain as loss and counting loss as gain. And we pursue the upward call to press on, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what lies ahead, pressing on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And each week we've been looking at these different themes in Philippians. Uh, We've been challenged to establish a pattern of following with others who pursue knowing Christ. And uh, Paul calls us to apply these truths in our relationship, uh, just as Jeff said last week in his sermon. So our theme today is the subject of prayer. In everything by prayer. Prayer is how we connect to Almighty God. Uh, Prayer is where our wholeness is restored. And prayer is where the peace of God is released. So let's stand, and uh, the reading is brief, so we can stand. We're going to hear from, again, from the letter of Paul to the Philippians, this time chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jehovah Jireh, we thank you that you are a provider, that you are enough, that you are forever enough, and always enough. We thank you for our past blessings, and we thank you for our future blessings, even before they get here. We thank you for this night, and we ask to speak to us through these scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. The Greek word, kareate, means to rejoice, to be glad. It's what they call in the present imperative active tense, which means it's a command to rejoice. It's an exhortation for us to do this, to rejoice and be glad, to continually and habitually rejoice and be glad over and over again. In other words, it's not clap your hands, uh, clap your hands, clap your hands. No, it's clap your hands. It's not take a deep breath. It's breathe in and out all the time. In other words, rejoice is meant to be like the air we breathe as we worship him and celebrate his goodness to us. The uh, root word of this Greek word is the word car, and it means to lean. It means to favor. Now, if you remember in the movie, uh, While You Were Sleeping, the character Lucy, Sandra Bullock, Bill by um, Jack Pullman, I mean Jack by Bill Pullman, uh, there was this Italian guy, Joey, who really had a crush on, the, on Lucy, and he happened to see Bill Pullman, the brother of the guy that was injured and was in a coma. Bill Pullman was kind of leaning in, talking to uh, uh, Lucy, the Sandra Bullock character. He, he was leaning, and they were kind of close, and it seemed like there was a little bit of uh, romantic tension going on. And so Joey, who kind of had a crush on her, said, what's going on here? He seemed to be leaning, and leaning was a big word that went all the th- way through the movie. You're leaning. You need me to do something? He said, no, it's all right, Joey. I'm okay, I'm okay. Well, this word car means to lean, means to favor. God favors us, and car is that. Now, there's a related word called kara, which means joy, and that comes out of that sense of favor, brings about joy, because we're favored, we're loved, we're already loved. That's who we are. And then there's the other related word to these, car and kara, those are the roots, is charis, which is the word for grace, for goodness. The Greeks, this Greek word Paul used because in the Greek culture, the word charis or grace, charis, means everything that's in nature and in our being that is good and beautiful and wonderful is something that is charis. It's a gift. It's grace to us. And so they looked at that word as the, all the stuff that's just beautiful and the rain, and the fruits of the trees, and the fruit of the field. Everything is grace. So then Paul used that word to extend it, not just for nature, but for God. 
and for grace or charis to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, back when my oldest daughter was born, my first wife and I named her Carice, and we took that name from Charis. We knew a little girl who was Charis, and we decided to take it and spell it with a K because of our German background, and so we named her Carice. And then for a middle name, well, we needed a short name with Carice Schilling, so we picked Joy. Carice Joy Schilling. And I didn't know at the time that the word joy actually comes from that root of Charis, which is car. So if we'd been doing it in sort of like Greek, it would be Charis Kara Schilling. We named her Caris Joy Schilling. And it was a special blessing for me years later to learn that those words were all tied together because this is what this word is all about. And Paul is using these words of grace and joy and God leaning towards us and favoring us to talk about rejoice. Carirete, rejoice, literally to delight or be joyful in God's grace to you, his goodness to you. His favor to you. Be glad for grace and joyful in worship. And it's so good that he doesn't stop because he, he says, again, I, I say, rejoice. He wants to drive it home. He says it again and implies he will say it again because it's in the future tense. Not only I will say it, like hmm, right now I will say it now in the future, but he's saying, you know what? If I write you another letter, I'll probably say it again. Rejoice. Because we are meant to rejoice in the Lord and uh, bless his name. So, in, and, and Paul in Ephesians says it this way, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And his allusion is to, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if you remember this and can join me. Otherwise, I'll be out on a limb. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Now, we're going to try this. See, we don't have a lot of people. We're going to try this with right through the middle here. You're that way. This is one group, and then this is the other group. You know, it's kind of done as a round, right? So we're going to start. Re, re, I'm going to try to rejoice in the Lord. We'll start with that. But then when we go into the second part, you all start the rejoice in the Lord part, right? Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Well, I think we're probably going to have to do it again sometime. But that was pretty good. Good start. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That's what Paul is exhorting them and us to do. He then goes on to say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This is Epiaicus, and many translations also use the word gentleness instead of reasonableness, and others use the word moderation. 
reasonableness in judging or discerning as you evaluate situations around you, as you evaluate the things that are going on, not being judgmental, but being reasonable and patient and discerning. Evaluating and responding with patient steadfastness. The result is seen and known by those around you. But it's not like someone named Tony Campolo. Anybody remember Tony Campolo? He was a professor at uh, Eastern University in Pennsylvania. He had a famous sermon called, It's Friday, But Sunday's Coming. If you've never heard that sermon, look it up on the internet, Tony Campolo. It's Friday, it's Sunday, some, uh, it's Sunday, but Sunday's coming. Tony Campolo was a pretty much a, I, some people called him the Don Rickles of Christian comedy. Uh, he was really funny. He was kind of a hot-blooded Italian. He was a brilliant professor. And uh, in about the 70s and 80s, he spoke a lot. But he talked about how he's not patient. He just doesn't do premarital counseling well. He can speak on a dime on any subject, but he says he just is not wired to be reasonable and patient and gentle. So if a couple comes into his office for counseling, he tries to put on that, well, tell me what it is that's going on. So they begin to tell him, and they talk some more, and it's not very long for him to be, he stands up and he says, you guys are perverted, get out of my office. And he, he, he judges them, and he's, he just basically is trying to say, he has a rough time having this quality of being reasonable and patient. But that's what the authority of Scripture is telling us to be like. Then he goes on, the reason we want to be that way, not being judgmental, wanting to be reasonable and patient and gentle, is because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Hocurius Angus. He's near. This word Angus for near, sometimes translated near, sometimes at hand, can mean near in space or in time. Or both. And with the Lord, is there actually a difference? I'm sure you all have this experience. My wife Kathy goes down to South Florida. Uh, sometimes we do it, things, we go down together. Other times she goes down to watch her grandkids down there. And then when she's coming back, she just got back from down there. And I bet you, you have these conversations with your spouse. Okay, how far away are you? What time do you think you'll be here? What's your ETA, estimated time of arrival? And say, well, I'm 25 miles out, but it's going to take me 45 minutes to get there because of traffic. If it's my wife, it's 25 miles out, and I'll be there in 15 minutes. Even if there is traffic. I mean. <laughs> but we say that. Now, the Lord is omnipresent. He is everywhere. That's part of our theology. He, theology. He's everywhere. So... When we talk about the Lord being at hand and the Lord being near, even though we may not have physical phenomena or manifestation of it, Scripture still says, He's here. I'll never leave you or forsake you. So let's just presuppose for a second that He's 145 miles away. He's not near. He's 145 miles away. So how long would it take Him to get next to you? Is He slow? What if He's on the other side of the planet? Would it take Him long to get there? How about the other side of the galaxy? 
Well, you see, when, when you have someone, a being that's supernatural being in his omnipresence, he can get there at any time. And this idea of the Lord is at hand is kind of used to imply that he's, he's about to come. He's at the door, like the second coming. And I had this experience recently at, at SunTrust Bank, now Truist. I keep saying that over and over again. SunTrust Bank, now Truist. And I had made a mobile deposit with my iPhone with the check, put it in, and it hadn't showed up after the weekend. So I went in, and I said, I don't, this check hasn't posted, and maybe it was, you know, something was wrong. So I showed him the check, and I had just missed it. It hadn't, it still said zero. It hadn't posted yet. So the teller looked it up. said, oh, don't worry. The post will appear soon. And then the teller next to her said, I know someone else who's coming soon. And I looked at her, and I saw the twinkle in her eye, and I smiled at her. I said, you know, he might get here before my check posts. So we had an interesting little conversation. How long have you known him? She said, I've known him for as long as I can remember. And we had a nice little dialogue, all because of a check being deposited. So we want to keep looking to the Lord because he is always near. And this idea of him being near, and maybe we don't, won't notice, is Jacob in Genesis 28. He came to a place called Luz, L-U-Z, and uh, he found a rock. It was late, he was tired. He found a rock that he used as a pillow. Those are one of the original Israel my pillows, you know. It was just a rock, very hard, uh, one kind. And uh, in this, he had a dream. And in the dream, he saw a ladder. They call it Jacob's Ladder. Remember that story? Jacob's Ladder with a ladder going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending. And at the top was someone who looked like the Son of Man. And the Son of Man, the Lord said, I am the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac. And I will be with you forever. If you follow me and trust me, I'm going to be with you forever. And he woke up. And he says, it says here, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. But just because we're not aware of his manifest presence in some kind of phenomena doesn't mean he's not there. That's the promise we have in Scripture. And he says, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate so we want to be encouraged, as Paul says this, that the Lord is present. As Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place. And when you know the Lord is near, how awesome is that, that he is there? I had an experience of the Lord's nearness in a unique way just recently. <clears throat> Many of you know that my uh, first daughter, Carice Schilling, that I was just talking about, got melanoma cancer and she passed away in 2016. I had still not put the remains in the ground. Uh, because her sister, my younger daughter, Crystal, and I had kind of an ongoing disagreement of where we were going to do that, either at Hope Church where I worked in a memorial garden or down in Miami at a Schilling family plot. And uh, their mother is at Hope Church in the ground, her remains, but both of them, Carice and her mother, Corey, are with the Lord. So I wasn't really all that, you know, the remains are important, but, you know, I know where she is. So finally, we came to an agreement this past April on the 10th, on a Saturday. We put her in the ground, and it was, you know, it brought back memories of, of, of losing uh, Carice. 
and Crystal and I uh, are not completely on the same page as the new wife, and that's been an ongoing thing that's gone on. And so it was a little bit of a melancholy experience. And so then, after the service, I went home, and I even think I called Kathy and told her a little bit about the melancholy experience. But I got home, and there was a package on the front porch, all wrapped up. And this package that I'm going to show you wasn't there when I left to do the burial. But it was there when I got back. And I opened it up, and it was from Tommy Walker's ministry. If you know Tommy Walker, he's a Christian worship leader, and I have liked his music. And back last year sometime, I sent their ministry a check. And the Lord had to do a lot of work to figure out this timing. Because four months later, they send me this gift. And he tells me in the card that this gift is a thanksgiving for the financial contribution. And his daughter did the calligraphy for it. Well, little did Tommy Walker know, but the Lord knew that Carice, my daughter, also did a lot of calligraphy. And this is what he sent. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. The Lord is near. That happened and arrived in that two-hour space right after I got back from putting Carice's remains in the ground. Our God is near. Surely that is an awesome thing. And that empowers our worship and fuels our prayers. Bethel. He then named Luz Bethel, which means the house of God. Beth is house, and El is for Elohim. Uh, Bethel, the house of God. Another scripture says, Know ye not that you are temples of the Holy Spirit? You are the house of God. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his Spirit lives in you aspect of the reasonableness and gentleness and moderation of Philippians 4.4 is because we know that the Lord is near and we live and worship and pray in the light of that fact. So having established that the Lord is near, having encouraged us to rejoice that the Lord is at hand, he then goes on and he makes this other challenge. He says, do not be anxious about anything. You're stressed out? You're worried? Something's going down? Do not be anxious about anything. The King James says, be careful, be full of care for nothing. Phillips, do not worry. Do not be full of care. In fact, we use this in the opposite way today. You know, we say goodbye to someone. Hey, see you next week. Take care. Well, we mean be healthy, you know, be careful, be safe. But in reality, we could say, hey, see you next week. Don't take any care. (laughs) Be anxious for nothing. Maybe we should try and switch it around. Because take care is the common phrase we say. When really, Paul here says, be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Remember the Matthew, the parable of the sower and the weeds and the cares. Remember, the weeds that choked out the seed were the cares and worries of this life. Cares are the concerns and worries that trip us up. Bills, too many of them. Losing a job. A slow driver in the left lane. 
kids, our spouse, our next-door neighbor, sickness, the death of a loved one, buying a new house, selling the house you have, or maybe debt to the cartel. Any of those things could really be messing you up, you know, and you could be worried and concerned about it. And it's pulling you apart. And in fact, those kind of things one time, I was only 25 and I was at the, a youth pastor at a church in Ohio, and I was talking to the priest, the pastor, and say, hey, because I was going through some stuff and I was kind of listing a list like I just read, except for the cartel. And uh, he just said to me, sounds like worry to me. I like, and you know, he was just pointing out that when you begin to complain about all the things pulling, we're worrying about all these different things, and it's pulling it us apart. The Greek word for do not worry, do not be careful of care, is merimnate, and it means the dividing and fracturing of a person's being into parts. That's what the word means. We're being pulled apart by we're caring about this and we're caring about that. We're worrying about this and what's going to happen there and what's going. Where's the money? It pulls us apart, and we're not healthy and we're not whole. And there was a time in my life when the situation between my daughters, after Kathy and I had been married for several years, but then came back from Saudi Arabia, I was being pulled apart because I was caring for what Chris and Crystal said and caring for my wife. And yet I was allowing it to pull me apart because I was trying to control the whole thing. I was trying to figure it out. I was trying to solve it. And I had to turn it all over to him. And right in the middle of it, Kathy asked me to go to uh, Core and Moore at the, at the gym, Pro Health Gym. I usually went and did weights or Pilates or something, but she did Core and Moore. So I decided to go. I'd only been once or twice for six months. At the end of that session, in the cool down, the woman who led it put on this song, the song by Danny Gokey, Tell Your Heart to Beat Again. And it starts off, you're shattered like you've never been before. The life you knew in a thousand pieces on the floor. That describes a lot of people because they're going through life caring and carrying the caring of everything that's going on. And Paul says, don't be careful about all those things. Be anxious. You see, we use the figurative language of anxiety, worry, stress, hypertension. But it just means the things that we're given allegiance to are pulling us apart. And we say things like, she fell to pieces. He had a nervous breakdown. The poor woman was a basket case. Why? Because there were 12 baskets full of pieces, just like the bread and the, the uh, feeding of the thousands. He had a midlife crisis. So how do we address it if we're being pulled apart? Well, we bring all those pieces, parts of ourselves to the Lord. And what Paul says, but in everything by prayer and supplication. But in everything. Now, we know that that really only means at least 51%, right? We only have to bring it 51%. No, it says everything. For everything except, no, everything. Bring everything to God. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Particularly all those things that are tending to pull you apart from Him and from wholeness and well-being. 
That's what prayer is to do, is to recenter us into our relationship with Jesus Christ. Put him first. Now, pray, uh, sometimes we call it our quiet time, uh, but really any time that the Lord leads us to pray. It might be because of a need, or it might be because the Holy Spirit prompts us, or because you just have a regular time that you do it, whenever that is. But you have that need, and it may be when you're in that desperate place in a thousand people, pieces on the floor, or someplace in between. And so we go to him in prayer. The word prasuke is the generic word for prayer in Greek, prasuke. And it means a prayer or a wish towards a God. This word for prayer doesn't necessarily automatically mean that you're praying to God our Father and Jesus Christ. It's just a generic word for prayer. People who pray to idols are praying. It's the same word according to the Greeks as far as that goes. But prayer in this sense means a conversation with God, talking to God. It's even talked about an exchange of wishes or desires, a dialogue. It's not a one-way conversation because you're not only to talk to him, but you're also to listen to what he might be saying back to. And it's not just to any God. Not too long ago, uh, talking to Kathy on the phone, uh, I had a particular experience that I wanted to tell you about when I went to the massage therapist that's helping me with my back. And so I explained the whole experience. Talked all about it, said everything that happened. No response. So, Kathy, no response. Looked at my phone. The call had dropped a long time ago. I've been just talking to just the air in the kitchen because the phone wasn't connected to her. So, we can have that problem that who are we talking to? Do we know the God we're talking to? It's not just a matter of prayer, but who or to whom are we talking? And our culture has a lot of different things we can be giving allegiance to. I couldn't believe it. The other day, a thing popped up about, see the latest space, space X launch. So I said, oh, 34 seconds. I'll, I'll watch the launch go off. It was a night launch. I like those. The woman narrating the launch gets down to the last 10 seconds and she's counting down. And then she goes, three, two, one, ignition and liftoff. May the force be with us. I couldn't believe it. May the force be with us. You know, I mean, she didn't say, may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us. I mean, she could have said that and she probably would have been fired or something like that, you know. But I had to chuckle because of our culture. Do we pray to the force? No, that's not what we Christians do. That's uh, the old Star Wars stuff. Good, good movies, but still it's not the same thing as God. We are the ones who talk with God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, with prayer and supplication, the asis is supplication. It means to entreat, to, to plead. It implies a want because one is in want. Or it implies a need for something. And it has an emotional aspect to it. It's an emotional, specific, heartfelt need. And the word de, de, the first part of the word by itself means really or indeed or like help. In other words, this is a serious, urgent kind of prayer. So, Psalm 100 puts it this way. Oh, so I'm, I'm shifting to a new topic. So the, this is the concept of supplication. is an urgent kind of prayer where you're going in because you really have something you need the Lord to answer. 
that to you all. That's supplication. And then he says, with thanksgiving. You're going to pray. You're going to bring supplications, really deep, heartfelt needs. Don't forget to also pray with thanksgiving. It is a form of prayer. Talking with God, with giving thanks. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks and bless his name. Thanksgiving is a, this Thanksgiving request comes in the middle between supplication and then requests. So we're supposed to remember in the middle of our prayers to be sure we're giving thanks for what he's already done. The Greek word is eucharistios, and it's in the plural, thanksgiving. It's when we pray, we give thanks for past provisions and blessings that he's done before as we are also going about giving supplications and requests. Episcopalians and Catholics celebrate the Eucharist. That comes from the same word. Eucharist uh, is a liturgical word, and in Catholics and and, uh, Orthodox and Episcopalians, we have the word and the sacrament. And the sacrament, of course, is the first thing at the beginning of the Eucharist, Behind the altar, a a priest will hold up his hands. This is called the Oran's position in Latin. Oran is the Latin word for pray. So he puts his hands like this, and he says, The Lord be with you. And the congregation says, And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. It is a good and right and joyful thing always in every way to give thanks to you, all God Almighty. It's called the great thanksgiving. It's called the great Eucharista. The giving of thanks, because that's what that Greek word means, to give thanks, or in this case, it's a noun, thanksgivings. And it is a plural word that you thank for a lot of things, all the things he's done for you. And thanksgivings also expecting future providence, so it's displaying an attitude of gratitude. Then he goes on and says, after your giving of thanks, let your requests be made known unto God. Uh, Itama is requests, and it's basically petitions and demands. It's your asks, multiple asks, and you are you can cover anything and everything you want to bring to the Lord. Nothing is too small or too big. He is not interested. Many people say, "Oh, he doesn't care about the small stuff." Yes, he does. He cares about the little things. He he, he cares about just the little things in our lives because he loves us. And so we can bring the little things, the big things, to him. Let your requests be made known. And as the song said, consider the lilies, how he clothes them. Consider the sparrows, how he takes care of them. Jehovah Jireh, God my provider. That was said by Abraham when he was sacrificing his son Isaac. And there was a ram in the thicket. After he almost plunged the knife, the angel said, stop. And there was a ram in the thicket, and he called God Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, God my provider, because he provided the lamb as a substitute. He's forever enough. He's always enough. He's more than enough. So let your requests be made known to God, because as you realize, he does not know what they are until you tell him, right? He knows what they are, but he actually wants you to know that you know and that you've told him because he wants to engage. He wants to be in dialogue to you, in relationship with you. 
That way you can thank him the next time because there's this, you know, this provision for taking care of it. Prayer. In short, be specific, be thankful, and be thorough. Be specific for two reasons. Because Paul said it here, and Paul Reese also said it. He likes specific prayer requests when you send them into prayer. So, Apostle Paul said it. Well, not Apostle Paul Reese, but Paul Reese also said it. So, be specific, be thankful, and be thorough. And he promises this. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will do certain things. The peace of God. Arene is the Greek word for peace. Peace of mind. And it means to join and to weave together into wholeness. Now, I've known that about that word in the past. I'm always saying at the end of my letters, grace and peace to you, Wally Schilling. So I've known about that, that it's like like a tapestry that's woven together. And and a tapestry is at peace. We bought some rugs back from uh, Saudi Arabia. Some are more expensive, and, and there's some tribal rugs where there's places where the threads are not at peace. They didn't do it right, and the deer has part of his body here and part of his body here instead of together. The tapestry is not at peace. It is not a reigning. But when it's done right, all the threads are woven together in the right way. So I kind of knew that thought. But I was amazed to see that this word peace is showing up right after the reverse word, merimna, where the cares of this world divide us into pieces. And when we take those pieces to the Lord in prayer, he joins them back together again. That's what peace is all about, bringing those divided parts of us back into harmony and peace. And we're whole. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But the Lord can. His peace. The word arena in Greek is translated from the Hebrew shalom. So in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, wherever it says shalom, peace in Hebrew, arena is the Greek word that they use. And only the Lord can give you this kind of peace. As Jesus put it, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. It's not the peace of just the cessation of hostilities. It's not the peace that the world offers by taking a tranquilizer or some sedation or getting high. That's not the kind of peace it's talking about. This is the kind of peace that Jesus gives. It's a fruit of the Spirit. This kind of peace only comes from that same power, the same power of the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And it's a peace that will surpass all understanding. Hyperacusa, to hold above, to rise above, to go beyond your understanding. This is the peace, the all-surpassing kind of peace. And as I said, it passes, it passes your understanding, it, under, it passes your mind. Noose is the Greek word for that, surpassing your reason. You know, sometimes you might see somebody, I'm sure you've said, says, why is she at peace? She should be falling to pieces. But instead, she's at peace. Maybe when the peace is descended on you, you go, 
why am I so much at peace? I should be stressed out. But God is giving me his peace. I'm okay. There's a contest for the first prize for painting peace. When the paintings were revealed, third prize was a scene of a harvest. People had smiles on their faces. They were coming in. They were tired. They were sweating. But they were at peace because the day was over. That was third place. Second place was the ocean on a sunrise without any waves, just perfectly calm, knowing how torrential it could be, but it was calm. That was second place. But first place was the picture of a thunderous waterfall, like the falls of Victoria Falls. It's coming down, water splashing. You can see the water cascading off the rocks, and how could this be peace? But as you looked more closely, there was a branch growing out of the crag of the rock, and on the branch was a bird. And the bird was asleep with its head under its wing in the midst of the noise of the waterfall. That was peace, knowing where your peace resides. And he will hide you under his wing. He is the one that gives us peace. And this is the kind of the peace that's the result of prayer. It's the outcome of connecting with the God of eternity. And he promises that this peace will cureo, guard you. It's in the cureo word means a sentinel, like a military guard, to watch over you and keep you safe. His peace will protect you now and on into the future. He will protect your hearts, your cardias, plural, your hearts, meaning he's, he's speaking to everyone, all of us. He will protect your hearts, the core of you, your inner self, the you that can be torn apart by cares and woes. He's going to protect your heart and your noemata, your minds. Note the syllable ma in this. This word, syllable ma in nimata emphasizes the outcome or the results of your thinking. I, th I find that fascinating because if you think about it, if we're stressed out and being told every which way, we are probably not going to have good results from our mind. It's like when a loved one dies, what do they tell the surviving spouse? They say, don't drive anywhere for two weeks. Don't make any big decisions for, the, for a while because you're under stress and grief. So it's the outcome of our thinking. If we're under stress, we're not going to necessarily make the right decision. But if we're influenced by peace, we'll have a different kind of outcome in our thinking. And James puts it this way, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial sincere. And lastly, in Christ Jesus, in Christo, in Christ, that's his title, the Messiah of Israel, the anointed one who is humanly Jesus of Nazareth. Your hearts and minds are guarded with the sentinel of his peace as you dwell in Christ and remain in Christ. It is only in him, in Christ, that we connect to this same power that flows from the resurrection. Because it's the source. It flows only from him and only if we are in him. And we are in him by faith and trust and belief in him. So in summary, rejoice habitually and continually. Again I say rejoice, be ye glad. Do not be full of care, do not be anxious, do not let the cares of this world pull you apart or shatter you into a thousand pieces. 
be what I just recently have learned and decided to call be a sun summoner. See the next slide. How many of you have, it's a, it's a series, some books, fantasy books called uh, Shadow and Bone and Sun Summoner. But I like to spell it instead of S-U-N, be a sun summoner, S-O-N. That's someone who is in prayer summoning God. Well, we don't normally want to think about God, us summoning God, but think about it in James. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you draw near to him, it's like summoning him in a sense. But God wants you to come to him. But that's how we gather into his presence. If we make that effort, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, and turn to him. It says, do not be full of care, but in everything by prayer. Be specific. Heartfelt deep needs are once. Be thankful for the multiple blessings of the past. Be thorough. Bring all your requests and asks. Peace of God will surpass your understanding, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and will make and keep you whole. Because that same power that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your bodies, life to your soul. And I repeat that verse: in, If the same Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Prayer is your secret secret weapon connecting you to this same power. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your desire for us to be in such close fellowship with you. We thank you that you want us to be in dialogue, that you want us to talk with you. You are a God that longs to hear from us, to be in relationship with us. We thank you for that. We bless you for that. In Jesus' name.